Well, why don't we start with introductions? My name is Dicax. This is Easy Pickens, and that's what I am. This is Eldritch Song, Clan Captain. This is Fist Alpha. <laughs> this is Dark Warship. Greenism. The Advanced 44, long time member. Uh, the Pastafarian, Raving Wise, Gibson Shredding Napalm Poet. Duh, winning. <laughs> Thank you. I was trying to keep it simple this time, but... Duh. What's a napalm poet, anyway? Uh, it's pretty close to, like, a Vatican assassin. Or a warlock, if you just want to get simple. <laughs> Thanks for that clarification. So, shall we talk about Seraphim events? Uh, Is Grey Edge... Yeah, Is Grey Edge actually here? Yeah, I'm here. So, uh, Grey Edge, I, I was asking if you're here because you won the Chromatic Tournament event a couple of uh, eons ago. Do you remember that? I think I vaguely recall something to that effect. Cool. And I just want to toss this out for anyone who might listen who doesn't know what we're talking about. Our uh, Chromatic Tournament is essentially a standard singleton where you can only you choose one color and all your cards have to be of that color, except for you can have fifth or eight main deck cards of a different color or artifact in your deck. And we actually had a really good turnout for that tournament. And, of course, a lot of people were playing black or blue as usual, but it was a pretty fun day. We had a lot of people online talking on Mumble and stuff. Thanks, Dark. What did you play? How did you win? Who did you beat? Um, I, uh... Played in my first chromatic uh, tournament, and uh, I almost made a really serious mistake when uh, I was preparing. I was kind of late in building a deck, and I missed the uh, the part where the uh, the deck had to be standard. And so here we were, like five ten minutes before the tournament was beginning, and I had mentioned something about that in the mumble, and someone's like, "You know that it's got to be standard, right?" And I was like, "Oh no, I didn't." And so I rushed off real quick, and I started uh, building the deck. I actually uh, had an easier time building it the second time because I used my uh, deck that I've been using for standard as a template, and pretty much just built off of it, which uh, is also a mono black infect deck, and. So I took that and expounded upon it and um, made it into the 60-card the singleton that was required for the tournament. And I really didn't have a whole lot of expectations of doing well. Um, I had participated in not that many Seraphim tournaments prior to that, uh, probably only like two or three, and every single one that I participated in, I just would get utterly obliterated. <laughs> and so I didn't have a whole lot of high expectations for the deck, especially since it was such a kind of a last-minute thing. Um, because I was kind of late putting it together, I ended up having a buy for the first round. And I pay, uh, faced uh, Pasta in the second. And we had a really close, fun uh, set of games. Um, we went one-on-one one up until the last game, and then uh, he actually ran out of time on the third one. That's how long we were taking on the game. Uh, everybody was waiting for us to 
finish up for that round. And one of the uh, the things that was really kind of stood out for uh, the matchup between me and Pasta, um, and I was playing through, and I pulled out uh, Pyrecean Crusader, and then he did a right of replication with a kicker on that uh, that card. And at that point, I was like, oh, this is not looking good. Because <laughs> usually if someone does a right replication and kicks it, uh, especially that late in the game, then that's usually a pretty much a deciding factor. But uh, uh, somehow I was able to fend off all five or six of the Pyrrhusian Crusaders that he had on his side. Uh, I don't think I actually won that uh, that game, but that wasn't the reason why I lost it. Um but it was a very, very close matchup. I don't remember exactly what uh, deck he was playing. I know that it was blue, uh, <laughs> but that's all that I can remember. I didn't really uh, keep track of what I was playing against. I wasn't expecting me to, like I said, do very well. Um, and then I faced uh, Eldritch in the third round. And again, it was very head-to-head. And the only thing that really stood out in that match was that he was pulling out some really large creatures, uh, like 6-6-1, six, six, I think one was a Titan, I can't remember specifics. And again, if I was playing, you know, the deck normally and creatures like that would pop out, I would think that I would normally have a difficult time, but I just, I remember I was just chopping them down with the infects, like I just had tons of creatures keep on flooding out and throwing more and more uh, negative encounters at them until they just weren't a factor anymore. Um, and then the round following that, I ended up getting matched with Pasta again, and it was, uh, again, a really close matchup. And then that was the uh, top four, and then for the top two, I faced Eldridge again, and I think he had some uh, some mana issues that uh, kind of finalized that round. It was just more of the same stuff. Yeah, I recall, actually, the, uh, the round three matchup, and what really got me was your... Uh proliferate effects, especially your uh, Contagion class, was the one that kept getting me turn by turn. That was one of the things that was really uh, helpful with the deck. Not only the infect, uh, the proliferate, and then there was also a considerable amount of removal spells thrown into the deck as well. Um, When I was looking through it, there's like uh, almost eight removal spells through not only uh, regular sorceries at instance, but uh, there was also uh, a skin render in there, which throws out three negative one, negative one counters as soon as the creature comes into play, which, if the creature's not big enough, it'll go ahead and start removing them. But then again, if it doesn't, then the proliferates will catch them eventually. And yeah, if you're interested, uh, I posted up the summaries for the Chromatic Tournament and the Build Your Own Standard Tournament that we played in the last couple of weeks. So if you want to see the uh, like Fist Alpha's deck and also Grey Edge's deck that took the uh, first place, you're welcome to go to those and Look at the summaries and the deck posted there. Captain, did you give me my art for for my win? Because I didn't find it. I made you a trophy, yeah. It's yeah, in the well, uh, Hall of Fame. Well, yeah, well, c- can you send me the link? Because I missed it, and I've been, like, really urging for it. Urging. <laughs> I yeah, I have. Urging. It's English. Yeah, Come no, on. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to use it at least three times in the next week. I'm urging. <laughs> this is a good egg. I don't care what you guys say. Thanks, Eld. And 
By the way, we're having so much fun and all in all. And the thing is, we have a new member, Hilo, who's been listening in to the podcast. Hilo, why don't you introduce yourself as a sort of, um, not a finale, but why don't you say hello and just tell us a little bit what you're about. And you've been listening to the podcast, you get a feel for, you know, some of the, I wouldn't say senior members, but some of the members have been in the clan for, for some time. What do you think about us? Or of us. You don't have to hey, you I like you, Fit. Yeah, it's pretty good. I like the podcast so far. I'm just uh, hanging out, playing some uh, singles online, um, and listening along at the same time. So it's uh, really good. You play singleton? That's pretty cool. So, hi, Lo. Will you be a participant in the future? Uh, maybe a definite possibility. The pay is really good. <laughs> That's why I signed up. <laughs> yeah, I supposedly want a whole pack that. I had completely forgot about until like an hour afterwards. Actually, um, one of the things uh, I've been listening along, I, I came from uh, old school magic. Um, I had only played paper, and I hopped online about two weeks ago. Um, so this is my first time actually playing online. So uh, it's kind of interesting. Well, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um and next up is the Scars of Mirrodin Black Tournament, which happened today. What was the outcome of that event? Do we have the winner here? Yeah. I heard we the Dark guy won. Yeah, we had uh, six people play in the tournament today. Oh, no, seven people. Uh, so not too many, but we had enough to play. And we actually had a pretty good uh, good time there. And Dark Worship did end up winning the entire thing. What did you play, Dark? Did it involve Tezzeret? No, it didn't, actually. I uh, woke up, and I was planning on playing a Tezzeret deck, and I started to look at it, and decided I was too vulnerable, because I knew someone was going to bring Liquid Metal Control, or just everyone tends to main deck a lot of artifact removal, so I wanted to steer away from that. So I ended up investing about 30 tickets or so into... A few more cards that I've been wanting anyway, and I end up playing a deck that I call Rock Control. It's a black-green, basically just heavy creatures, beat them down. A lot of the creatures are 3-3s, 4-4s or so, with uh, significant effects. So it's not like if they get removed it's a big deal, because hopefully their effect will already have helped. I was actually meaning to ask you about that. So I know what the troll part of that stands for, but I've heard Rock tossed around a few times about other decks. Did you want to explain what that means? Because it gets part of like magic terminology. Yeah, Rock seems to be the name. I don't know where it actually originated from, but it seems to be the name. A lot of the uh, players have assigned the color combination of green and black. It's kind of like, like, uh, like how blue green. Are we, are we talking legacy? legacy? Kind of how blue, green, black is always referred to as bug. Alright, that makes sense. Green, mild, black, rock. That made uh, a noise in the legacy community the the other week. So yeah, in terms of the Sonblock tournament, since we were talking about that, um, yeah, only seven people, so someone had to get the buy, and that happened to me, me the first round. Second round, I went up against Tordek, I think it was. He was playing his usual mono-white artifact aggro. Uh, I was running Creeping Corrosion's main deck, and first game I 
opened up with two of them in my hand. Uh, built a board presence, kept him off his manamers, and eventually found the opening to hit the corrosion and swing for lethal. And the second game was actually a lot longer because he was able to build up an army or so to wall me off. I remember looking at it at one point and was like, I can draw Massacre, Worm, or Creeping Corrosion for the win. And then he ended up picking up, uh, I think it was a couple Galvanizers, so Massacre Worm was out of that. And basically the turn before I thought he was probably going to overwhelm me, I top-decked uh, Creeping Corrosion, blew up everything. And then two turns later I had him. And then of course the third round and our finals, I went up against Pastafarian, who somehow happened to homebrew a very similar deck to mine. He was also running green-black, a lot of cards and similar, like Glissa and Skin Render. Difference is that uh, he, his deck seemed to have more artifacts and be more based around uh, Mortar Pot, it seemed. He could tell you about that. Versus mine had uh, Green Sun Zenith and threw in the last troll. And, uh, yeah, he seemed to have a few mana issues. In our five games we played against each other, a lot of them were very close, and it just happened that the last one to decide the tournament, he got mana screwed on and couldn't hold up. But he can tell you about his deck. I'm kind of interested as to what the theory behind that was. I just want to say I'm, I'm tired of uh, losing these two weeks in a row to the two dudes that uh, pulled out that first win, or first match by. That's getting old. <laughs> well, yeah, that was an intentional. <laughs> Yeah, my deck, like Dark said, was extremely similar to his uh, main deck. Mine focused around Glissa and the the artifacts and kind of her bringing them back. So Mortar Pod does help uh, make that happen if you need to bring back the Mortar Pod, if people like Song decide to keep putting it into your graveyard, or the like Sylvac Replicas, uh, Perilous Mirrors, and what have you. And so it's it's kind of a it's a mid range deck that just wants to keep keep holding, just keep pinging away. But come sideboard, if uh, the deck looks like it that's sitting across the table from you looks like your main deck plan is going to be a problem. It's a complete transformation into a uh, an infect deck that still has some of the synergies with Glissa through the uh, the uh, artifact infect creatures uh, like Necropede and what have you. And then uh, the surprise element of the uh, Petrifex and the Scytherex that actually worked out one time for me against Dark to hit him down that turn. But overall, it's, it's pretty similar theme to what he has going on. Just the the green-black guys to hold early, early game, and uh, the Viridian Emissaries are actually a big game for Ramp. One thing I noticed that you guys do share a lot of main deck cards, but it seems like your like your plan of attack is quite different because, um, like you were saying, like your I guess your kind of main game plan seems to be utilizing your kind of artifacts, like utility creatures with Glissa to bring them back over and over again. So, like you said, kind of a recurring value from all your small guys, just keep using them over and over again until their kind of their life total goes down. Whereas Dark, you know, played a lot of the same cards at like Glissa, but his plan mostly was just to it's more of a more of a creature deck to attack you with his thrones, his gets, his you know massacre worms. Those were his finishers. Those were the way he was going to win. Typically, your deck I, I kind of found was sort of a you know kind of spot removal, take out you know, your opponent's creatures and just you know, attack them with your small guys until their total is eventually you know gone. 
Yeah, mine was definitely a lot more uh, mid-range beat down, whereas Pasta's deck was more synergy and card advantage through how the cards work together. An interesting point to, to note on Dark and I's matchups is I lost count of how many times each other's skin renders killed the opponent's skin render. We had at least five skin renders die to the other's ability. Back and forth, back and forth, skin render, skin render, skin render, skin render. One card you didn't mention, Pasta, that I thought was kind of interesting in your deck uh, was, what's the call, What's it called, the uh, the green Genesis Wave spell that you had that just, I, I, I guess I never really expected you to bring that card out. Whenever you would tap out for that, I was expecting like you to play your Geth or to play something else, but you'd always come out with that Genesis Wave. How'd that work for you? When it was there, it, it was good. I only ran one single copy in it because I never wanted to see two of those sitting in my hand. It was more in there to, because I find myself, like I was uh, telling Dark when we were actually playing, is a lot of times I'll find myself with a ton of mana on the board, like 10, 12, and nothing to do with it. And that it was just kind of something to do with it then and to get some more utility onto the board or beaters in. So this is more of a general question that I guess goes out to both of you. Was this more of a spur-of-the-moment type deck that you kind of threw together before the tournament, or did you actually put this together some time ago and practice with it before you brought it into the tournament? Uh, I don't know about Dark, but for myself, it was definitely spur-of-the-moment. I put it together during the Mumble meeting. Yeah, when I woke up, like I said, I was planning on playing a Tezzeret deck. But I just figured that we'd have too much uh, artifact hate, as usual, in our metagame. And I know someone did run Liquid Metal Control. Um, so yeah, and I was already kind of planning on getting the Thrones for a standard deck I want to work on. So I just wanted to do a deck that was oddly little to no artifacts in it. Sweetness. One question I would have for you, Dark, is um, what... Like, what do you have the uh, the Phyrexian Crusaders in your sideboard for? I think I was just trying to fill up my sideboard just against whatever, but I figured that um, having played in the last couple Scars tournaments we did, um, there was always someone that brings either the uh, red-green liquid metal control or a heavy red Koth build. So I kind of brought those in there just for uh, defense, mostly. So, uh... The Odyssey Black League is coming to a close. Manana, Eslaverda, no? Yes, that is that's exactly right. So Sunday tomorrow will be the last day of the Odyssey Block League, and then the ranking should be updated sometime between the end of the league on Sunday and um, Wednesday, which was which will be when the prizes for that league are handed out. So if you guys if you make the top four, uh, be sure at least by Wednesday to check the rankings, and then if you see yourself in the top five. Uh, send me a message and we'll take care of the prices and all of that goodness. It looks to me like there's um, maybe a misprint on the rankings here because Matthew's Meg is in second place. Isn't he in <laughs> first? Well, from what I've been hearing, I haven't had a chance to play that much League just because I don't get a chance to play that much Magic in general. Uh, but Greenism apparently got the ultimate pool here. And so, so far, he has just been undefeated well, actually, today he messaged me. He actually did lose his first match today to Matthew's Mag, actually. Uh, but before that, he was just tearing it up the entire time, undefeated. Um, and it's more than likely, just based on what I've seen so far, he's still probably going to be in a top spot. I'm not sure if there's anybody that can catch up to him now. 
but his deck is like apparently his sealed pool has just been crazy. Is he actually here to comment on his deck? Or he was here about half an hour ago, so I guess he just had to go somewhere. Oh, he's not on anymore. Yeah, that's too bad. Drag. You know, he does share something in common with Matthew's Meg, which is what I think an indicator of success. <clears throat> Part of that is that he is very persistent about playing his match games. Uh, that's one thing that Matthew's Meg always had going for him is that, you know, when he plays the league, he definitely is always on asking for league games, messaging people, and really just getting out there and, you know, making sure that he gets in the amount of, you know, the games he needs in order to play in the league. And the same thing for Greenism, just... You know, all the time, you know, PMing people, messaging on the clan chat, you know, really getting into those games. And so I think people that, you know, I guess some people argue that they don't play the leagues because they can't find enough games. Well, I think these, at least two individuals kind of prove that, you know, with enough persistence, enough, like, activity, you really can get in all those games and obviously get be successful at it. Yeah, for sure. And so, since Odyssey League is coming to a close, that must mean... Something's about to open up. Sick segue. Exactly. So um, we'll probably talk about more this later. But I'll let Easy do all that. But uh, when he decided to create his clone magic event, he sent me a few ideas and a PM about how I could help, you know, make it more visible to the clan. And one of his suggestions was that clone magic be featured in a clan league event for that month. And so just. You know, because of the way the league has been going lately and some of the blogs have been doing, I just think some of the interest might be waning in the league event. And because of that, I thought we maybe should change, you know, change tracks a bit. So I decided for this next coming up month, we would do Easy's idea and have a clone Magic League. And what's pretty much going to happen there is it'll be like a normal league, but we'll be using uh, this, the pool that Easy has put together, and that each week the deck building rules will change. So, you know, you have this pool, you see the deck building rules, you build your deck, play for a week. The next week will be different rules, so the deck will actually change each week based on the rules, uh, and it should be pretty interesting and I think pretty fun. And he has already, you know, looked up those cards. So, in terms of budget, the you know playing in this clone Magic League will be pretty much just as inexpensive as it would be to uh, you know buy all commons for our popular league. So this league, I think, using your your cube, I mean your uh, clone Magic thing does feature like uncommons and rares and things like that, right? Right, uh, we have some, uh, the carpool is very inexpensive. Just for example, I went on a penny bot, and I bought there's 55 white cards in the pool, and 44 of them were available for one cent each. So you can go out and probably buy the whole pool for ten dollars, or even less if you're frugal. Or if there's a few cards that are 25 cents and you choose not to get them, you just leave that card out and, and play all the rest. Yeah, so that's what's going to happen this coming month. So you know, it's a very affordable format. I think it's a nice change from what we've been doing lately. And also, I guess the other benefit is that, you know, once you have these, you know, the card pool really doesn't change except for maybe one or two cards, you know, after someone wins one of these Clone Magic events. So just having this, you know, card pool, you can also play in the Clone Magic event that Easy holds each weekend. So that's also another benefit to uh, the, the Clone Magic League. So I think it should be a lot of fun for people. Okay. Oh, so instead of Onslaught, we'll be doing a Clone Magic League. Yeah, we're going to skip Onslaught, go into Clone Magic, and then uh, afterwards probably resume our typical schedule. But if it ends up that Clone Magic is really popular, we might do something similar to that uh, later. And I imagine just, you know, I can just already predict that things will be pretty popular. So I think we'll probably be returning to Clone Magic, uh, either Easy's pool or something very similar to it. Okay. And just to take a step back, Easy, why don't you introduce Clone Magic and also let us know how the event went. 
last week. And have you had one or two now? Yep, we had our second clone magic tournament on Sunday night, and they will happen every Sunday night at 8 o'clock Eastern. Fracture was the winner. He played a red-white deck that uh, destroyed all comers. He got to choose, uh, when you win Clone Magic, you get to choose one card and add it to the pool. And um, on the website, under forums, user-run events, Clone Magic, it describes the types of cards we're looking for. And he chose a very interesting card, a Safi Eric's Daughter, to add to the list. It's a green-white 2-2 creature that can sack to save another creature's only way to the graveyard. And for those of you who don't know, Safi, Eric's daughter, was the one who hollered at Khan's run, it's the Lurgorf. And we'll have another event this Sunday night. This Sunday night's event was, uh, the rules were selected by the Avenged. Tell us about these these rules, Avenged. Um, basically, the rule says um, it will be 40 card, 40 card decks with an optional sideboard. And, um, Everything in the deck must cost one or two. No zero. Um, X spells do count if they have a one or two in their mana cost besides the X. And, um, yeah, it's basically just everything in your deck is either preferred mana cost one or two. And it should make, I've played a couple of practice games with it, and it's, it makes for some very interesting games. You have staples that are, like, amazingly good that, that normally wouldn't be staples in any other kind of the game you'd be playing. The card desert just absolutely rocks in this format. He named it One Two Punch, but he, he came to the realization that he should have named it Ant Farm. So you came to that realization for me. <laughs> anyway, we'll be having we'll be holding these events every Sunday night. Um, the interesting thing is, as a tie into the league, once you've had a set of league rules all week, that Sunday night we use the same set of rules for the tournament. So you can practice with your deck all week, play your league games, and then come to Terminal Sunday night for a different event and and win a tournament with it. Yeah, so um, so it's a relatively small card pool. Um, how does uh, what's the difference between the event itself and league? Like, what changes need to be made to make it work for league? Nothing at all. The card pool is going to be as as stated on the website. The tournaments we play on Sunday will be using the same rules you just used all week, so you can come to the tournament with the deck you played all week. Then the rules change again on Monday, and everything starts again. Four different sets of rules. Uh, can I ask for some some clarification on this? And all right, so the uh, league is going to be the clone magic. Each week of the league will follow the rules set forth by the tournament that. It's the Sunday prior, is that right? No, the Sunday coming. For instance, uh, our March 27th tournament is called One Deck to Rule Them All, 60-card deck singleton tournament. And then the first week of the league will also be one uh, singleton 60-card deck week. Yeah, so the way it'll work is that, say, on Monday the deck-building rules will be posted somewhere where people can see them. And that will be the deck-building rules for that week of league. And the Sunday that, like that's the, the Sunday of that week, the Clone Magic rules will be the same as the rules people have been playing that entire week for the league. So there'll be, there'll be some similarity. will be par- uh, parity between those two events, the way you can go from one to the other without having to change anything. Okay, so then the winner of the Sunday Clone Magic then gets to determine... 
the coming league rule week, right? No, that's, that's not correct. They will be able to, all players who play Clone Magic, it's kind of a, a fun thing to choose some rules. So everybody who plays in our league will eventually choose a rule set. The only thing that winner can do is choose one card to add to the pool, which will be posted, and um, then you could add, then everybody gets get to go out and buy that card and use it if they want to. Okay, so how is the uh, the rule for the week determined? We've already set the four rules for the for the weeks of the of the league, just because it make it easier. Players can go ahead and start planning for the future. And I've also got um, a list on the website on the forums of all the league, the rules we've had up to date. So you can go ahead right now and find out the rules for all four weeks of the league and start planning and building your decks. Excellent. Um, so then, I guess my other question is, how do you determine the rules for the, the weekly event? In general or for the league time? Uh, just for the, the weekly event, not the league. The weekly events are, we, the players in, of Clone Magic, like, everybody gets a chance to choose a, a week of rules. And so, for instance, um, all of us in the current who play the tournaments have chosen a set of rules, except for Fracture. So next time I talk to Fracture online, I'm going to offer him the chance to make up a set of rules, and he'll just go in line, and his rules will be the rules for that week. Do you have any uh, plans to kind of, I don't know, have a, a marriage between that and the league? So maybe anyone that's in the league then gets to choose the rules if the league uh, clone clone league continues, that is. Well, there's no, that's not a problem at all. If someone shows enough interest to come to me and say, hey, this is a cool set of rules, I'd like to try it, I'm always open to suggestions. And the whole reason I'm, like, bringing this up is uh, it, it just seems like a cool way to get members of the, the clan more involved with the process of, of the leagues in general. And I, I love what you're doing with the clone magic, and I understand it completely. Just kind of trying to flesh it out a little bit for the uh, podcast. Wait till you play it. It's it's a lot of fun. And, and I like the dynamics of adding one card a week. And it may not sound like a lot, but it's going to be exciting to see. The winner always picking a fresh new card to go in, and, and you kind of absorb it and see if it if it fits with what you are, what your deck building does. Now, is that gonna transfer over to the league? Is the winner of the weekly clone magic event the card they choose to add? Is that gonna be able to be added to the league pool? Yes, it will. It'll be the the, the deck list. The the clone list is always posted on the website, and as soon as the event is finished. I nail the winner, I say, what card do you want to add? And he gives it to me, and I add it to the list. And as soon as it's on the website, it's official and in. Awesome. That's, that's really good stuff, what you're doing with this clone stuff. Easy. I, mean, I hope, people, I hope so. Something like this. I hope people start playing it, too, because I've been playing it for two and a half years on paper, and we, we just have a lot of... Yeah, and hopefully I'll, I'll have a post uh, for, the new, for the next league, for the Clone Magic League, up this Sunday. Uh, and so by the time you hear this podcast, it should be up. And uh, hopefully there I'll be able to answer all the questions like Boston has been posing and uh, also direct you toward all the information that Easy has already posted on our website. So by the time you, you know, the league starts the following week, everyone should have had time to absorb all the uh, intricacies of the clone magic and how it relates to the league and how that relates you know, back and forth. So it should be interesting. I think it will be probably a very fun league. And like I said, if it turns out to be you know, pretty awesome, I think, and I think it will, we'll, we'll do more of these. Well, I appreciate you bringing Clone Magic to uh, Seraphim. And also just taking a lead and doing something new for the clan. It's cool. 
Well, I appreciate it. Everybody start playing. Come meet us on Sunday evenings. And uh, Fist, have you had an opportunity to have another legacy event? Yeah, we made a calling yesterday, uh, but we didn't have enough participants. I think we were three people who were interested. But um, what we've said now is that we need at least six. So this is a bit ad hoc. Uh, we just watched the post in events. And by the way, we might actually move this post. That's something I want to discuss with El, which is a different subject. But we will do this on an ad hoc basis. Okay, it's like if you feel like playing Legacy, you have to remember one thing. We have a Death and Taxes or an Exiler deck in the clan, which is a good deck. It's doing well in the Legacy dailies, 4-0s, 3-1s in the last couple of weeks. If you want to get into Legacy, and you, want, you want to get some coaching, you want to play against you know, the best decks, whatever, whatnot. We have the facilities for you to get into Legacy and to face off and actually have a good chance of winning against anything. So there's a wide variety of decks available? No, there is a... well, within the clan we have a fairly strong Legacy community. Some of the clan members that I play mostly with are hardcore paper players as well. They have everything that's available in uh, MTGO and they actually go out and face people like Jerity, Alex Bertocini, etc. and the Star City Games. They do that for real and they use MTGO as their way of gaining practice with many decks. And you know what? They happen to be members of our clan. We have that. We have a strong contingency of uh, legacy professionalism. And we have a deck for anyone who's like a complete newbie uh, to the clan or whatever, who's never tried Legacy before. Try the deck out. And just to, to clarify, we do, we, uh, the Exiler deck was the, uh, donated to the clan, so that's been being kept in the Seraphim Vault, which is sort of the account that Seraphim has that holds all of our assets, like our tickets and our prizes and our decks that are given away to the clan. And so... If there's at any point you want to play in a Legacy event and you want to try the Exiler deck, you're welcome to send me a message if I'm online, and I will be happy to trade you that deck so you can use it for you know the, the events you want to play in, and then once you're done, you just trade it back to the uh, Seraphim Vault, and then it'll be available for you know, the next player that wants to borrow it. So if you, you know, if this decides, you know, he wants to hold an ad hoc Legacy event, and you're around, and you think, oh, well, I want to play in that also. Uh, just send me a message, and if I'm you know if I'm online, I will be happy to uh, loan you the Exiler deck from the vault, and you can use that to play. And did we mention the standard tournament that's coming up next Friday? Or well, if we didn't, there's a standard tournament coming up next Friday at eight o'clock. But I think that concludes our uh, discussion of Seraphim events, if I'm not mistaken. I should mention, I suppose, that we are going to have a another cube draft like usual this Wednesday at um, 7.30 uh, Seraphim time, so if anyone's interested in playing in the cube draft, just be around uh, at that time, and then you can uh, join, and we'll get this thing started. We've actually been having quite a good turnout lately for our cube, and I think I mentioned this before, but we do have currently 438 cards, I believe, so we're only really 12 cards away from having a complete cube uh, as we first envisioned it, our, you know, our kind of budget list even though it's not really so budget anymore. But we've got quite a few cards in there now. It's almost complete. This is the first version. And uh, we've already started adding some Mirrored and Besiege cards in there. 
And I think the cube looks very, very nice right now. So if you haven't played it before, you're allowed to play the first time for free. So if you haven't played it and you want to try it out, just be there uh, Wednesday at 7.30. And we have space for up to 10 people uh, maximum. So And usually we have room for uh, extras. So don't worry about taking up space. So just come try it out. And if you enjoy it, uh, to play the cube for, you know, forever, all you have to do is donate 10 tickets to the cube, and we use that to obviously buy new cards and uh, help complete the cube. That is indeed very cool. So Fist had mentioned earlier the price of uh, Tezzeret, and its current price I think is about 35 bucks. Um, and he wanted to know whether you think that's high, low, or just about right. Right now, I think it's hard to tell because, like, Dark and I kind of talked about it, like we all talked about, really, is that the Tesseract deck really hasn't been broken yet. So right now, it's sort of a, a really interesting planeswalker that everyone knows is powerful, or at least thinks is powerful. But we're not, you know, you know there's not, not really a deck that he goes into that's truly Tier 1. So until that point, uh, and if really, in the next few months, a deck is not found for him, I imagine his price will go down. Uh, probably somewhere between 25, 30 is where he's going to hang around at. Uh, but... If, you know, there is a deck that he gets into that's really, really good. I can see his price going up pretty high. I mean, he's not, like you talked about earlier, he's not a Jace the Mind Sculptor. Uh, his value will never reach that point just because, like we said, he's not as versatile as Jace the Mind Sculptor. He's more, a lot more limited in that respect. So his price will probably hover around 25, 30, I imagine, for a while until it's figured out. But, you know, the other problem, at least that I see with his price, is that he is printed in uh, a middle set. Because of that, he's going to be underdrafted online. And don't forget, right now he's uh, having a fairly big infect, impact, as uh, Fist pointed out to me, in Sombloc. Yeah, he's so, a driver. He's, he's, like, insane. So every Som... Yeah, sorry for that, Doc. Continue, please. No, I was, I'm just repeating what you told me and what I kind of looked at. Uh, right now, he's pretty much... Uh, the Tezzeret decks are pretty much dominating the Scars and Mirrod and Block tournaments. So there's no way he's going to drop down too low. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I actually did look at a lot of those, and he is in most of the top decks. A lot of decks that have him are going 4-0. That said, I mean, he is... Some Block is not really a format that's played that widely. It's fairly popular, but not, you know, it's not, like, standard or even maybe extended. It's just, you know, it's a fairly limited kind of format, but... Because you have, you know, you had cards like Koth and Venzir, even Elspeth that were played pretty heavily in that format, never really reached, you know, insane numbers. So I can definitely see, I can, I can see Tezra dropping a few points, even though he's played pretty heavily in Songblock. Well, just to give you a, a reference, I was preparing for this particular tournament tonight that I missed. I left an order with one of the largest vendors of cards globally on MTGO cards, they refuse to take an order on Tezzeret. Because they just said that it's shifting so fast that we are just broken. We're just broken it. We, ca we cannot leave, take an order. When I say, you know, I'll pay you this much for X amount of Tezzeret. We, we just don't do that. Because it's moving so fast. And to give you a reference, just before the rotation after M11, like before Scars of Maryland, right? They would not take orders for for um, uh, Jaces either, because they were shifting so fast. So Tezzeret seems like the thing 
it's it's shifting very very quickly and what does that mean well i don't know what it means to be honest i just mean uh, i just understand that the sword of feast and famine which is like the second most popular card in this whole set is finding a balance it's creeping down in price and it's being stocked by most of the vendors so those are easy to get your hands on if you want to but tesserets uh, are moving quickly by the way another thing that i've been having my eyes on is that the koth koth was down to close to 1550 on mtgo i think it was two weeks ago now it's up to 18 and it's um zero stocked all over the place you can go to mtgo abu uh, mtgo you can go to most of it's out of stock is that a riser perhaps is there is there something new coming on or some people have been playing it in uh boros and he's showing up in red deck wins occasionally I've yeah and a, i've actually seen them pop up in core blade um claw blade actually yeah, I think there might be something new going on, right? We saw the red splash for Coreblade. The thing is, Cop has been going on and on and on and on for the last couple of weeks. But you remember when Cop was released, it was like, what, 40, 45, 35-ish? 50. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, first couple of weeks it was really high it was one of the hype super hyped cards personally i never bought into the hype I, I i don't have a single copy of the cough but i started looking like three weeks ago something like that just because it it's gone down what do you think about the cough the cough might have a a use actually like you guys say in boros etc well just one thing to take note on with cough is that he'd requires a significant red uh, influence on your deck in order to get the true value out of him. So I don't think he's going to spike up too much. Um, I mean, I wouldn't buy him just to invest in him, but he's something that's worth having just because a lot of people like to have red in their decks for burn or just spot removal. But he's definitely not something that's going to skyrocket all of a sudden. And something to note on him is... Like Song said, he before besieged hit. Koth ran the sound block tournament. He was in all the top decks, much like uh, Tesseret is now, and that didn't have any effect on his price. It, his price just kept dropping. But that's also somewhat uh, influenced by the fact that at the time you were drafting triple scars, or if you just sealed, you were getting six scars. So there's definitely going to be a lot more of a abundance of coughs in the uh, marketplace than, say, something like Tezzeret. Yeah, exactly. Tezzeret's going to be very true, true. I, I see Koth settling at 20 and Tezzeret settling at 30. That's just my prediction. So basically we keep the Tezzerets? Yeah, I wouldn't sell Tezzeret. Would you buy them? Uh, right now? Personally, yeah. no. No, neither do I. I think what I would do is try to look back at when they start to uh, release information on the next set, like the individual cards. Figure out, say, like, if they start to spoil the cards like a month ahead of the set's release in paper, I would. that's when I would start looking to buy Tezzeret. Because 
One, I think Tezzeret's going to have a big impact after the rotation, and once Jace is gone, he's going to be the planeswalker. Obviously, he's not going to have the same impact as Jace, but from what we've seen so far, he's definitely the most powerful one next to Jace. And also, with the next expansion, you don't know if they're going to bring out more artifacts or more cards that are going to have the synergy with Jay, or uh, Tezzeret. So, of course, when they start to spoil cards, people are going to start to speculate about, oh, this deck's going to be huge, this deck's going to be huge. And, of course, being in a artifact block, they're going to spoil some good artifacts. So, all of a sudden, I think you're going to see Jay start to... Or not, Jace, uh, Tezzeret start to go up in price once they start to spoil the next set. I think like for me, if Tezzeret drops to around 30, I would consider buying him up. Exactly, that's what I was about to say. 25 to 30 is the buy price on him. Yeah, and of course, I might be a little bit biased because I absolutely love Tezzeret, and he's all I've been really toying with in Standard for the last couple weeks. I've never tried him in Standard. I played him in Extended, and i got to say, the card is awesome. I mean, there's no doubt that like in the right deck, he's just a sick card. So, I mean, it took me a while to get coughs just because and the reason that I don't really play red, but like Dark was saying, you know, it's just one of those kind of cards you want to have because he shows up in a lot of places. Uh, for Tesfret, though, I think that's more of the card that I'm really looking forward to getting a set of because I really think that he's, I guess, more my style of card plus really more versatile than Koth is. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. That, the question I'm is sorry, how just, to pick him up how to pick him up. Because Koth is perfect to pick up right about now. Ish, or was. He's sold out. I think what Poss was saying, I think Koth is pretty stable. Like, I don't think, I don't see him going above 20. Like, I bought him when he was around 17 each, something like that. And then he still kind of dropped down to 15, and now he's creeping back up toward 20. I think he'll probably stay within that range of 15 to 20. So I think he's more of a sure, like, I guess, I guess a, more of a stable uh, kind of card. Yeah, if, if you don't have Tezzeret's right now and you're looking to eventually pick him up, I'd probably wait a couple weeks so the whole hype over the new set's already completely faded and you're probably going to see him uh, hit a stable price, like you guys are saying, probably around 30. I don't think he'll drop below 30, but he'll hit, hit probably his bottom and then you're going to want to grab him before the next set starts to spoil. And also, something I just wanted to toss out, because uh, Song was talking about how Tezzeret's so versatile. Um, that was actually one of the discussions in the uh, Tezzeret deck forums, was that people are banging these decks against each other and trying to compare the different Tezzeret archetypes and standard. But the problem is that just about all the different decks use Tezzeret in a different way. I mean, you can literally build a deck around each of his three different abilities. Yeah, exactly. That's what makes him so different from Koth, I think. Because Koth is like, if you're playing a mana deck, you're playing him for his plus one ability, just to get in there with those 4-4 four, four lands, do, you know, damage. And Koth, we've already seen, it's just been, you know, a Grixis control deck, the Forge Master deck, and he knows what else is going to be. And he just, he plays a lot of different roles. And, I mean, like, you know, like what you were saying, like, you know, if you try to compare all the Jace decks, for instance, you know, there's some Jace decks that are just completely different from each other. You know, and I think that's, that's what Tesseret is to a lesser degree, obviously, but I think he'll be popping up in a lot of... I think that's why it's a good card to pick up, because if you pick up, like, Koth, for instance, you're pretty much going to play him in one type of deck. Tesseret, though, will show up in a lot of different type of, you know, a lot of different archetypes. I said, though, if he just remains sort of a Sombloc card, I don't see him spiking up in price, but if 
somehow someone does break his deck and gets into standard and really starts putting up some results, then you can see his price go pretty high. And if that does happen, it'll be with this next set or once the rotation um, happens. Because the whatever next uh, big block there is, when the first set comes out, there's going to be very limited um, combos that are going to come out of that. Because there's only so much you could do with a single set. So you're going to see people fall back onto Tezzeret, and all of a sudden people are using him more. So then his price is going to skyrocket. Are there other cards that you guys think are over or underappreciated? I don't know. I, th- I think really, I think this set is pretty reasonably priced, actually. Like, the only cards that are really putting up some high numbers are Tezzeret and Feast and Famine. And Feast and Famine really, what, about half the price of the Tezzeret now. Uh, so there really aren't that many cards that are trading for that much in MBS, which I like. I think that's good for the game. I think and cards people want to have is, like, well, go ahead, Foster. I was going to say the, the big uh, rift between the the, the prices in Tezzeret and the, the sword are because you know, you don't want to play four sword and beast and famine in any deck. I don't care what it is. But if you're going to play a Tezzeret, you want to play four Tezzeret. Yeah, exactly. In terms of cards, I think people should be looking at. Um, I would personally like pick up a set of Mirren Crusaders and Phyrexian Crusaders. Those are pretty sick. Um, and the Zenith, for the most part, the ones that are really getting good numbers are the Black Sun and the Green Sun. Those are the ones that are really people are paying attention to. And I would say, I think probably will go down a bit, but it would be good to have a set of those. And they're really not that much. I think the Black Suns are like four each, and the Greens are like 3.5. So really, those are actually pretty reasonably priced. Uh, and so are the, the Crusaders for, like, Mirans and the Fire Those are both reasonably priced. And, uh... I guess the only other mythic I'm looking at, like always, they always mention Front, who continues to go down. I think he's around five now, so it's also a pretty good price for him. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that Thrun dropped so much because, uh, I mean, you look back at some of the other uncounterable cards and the Troll Shroud, and those have all been really successful cards. I think uh, it just, I th- I really think that a green mid range aggro deck is probably one or two cards away from being able to really take off. Because with the Green Sun Zenith, you're going to be able to fetch out all these single cards, and you don't have to rely on um, Fauna Shaman, who's got a gigantic bullseye on her forehead when you drop her. Whereas the Green Sun Zenith, you could just all of a sudden, oh, you wait one extra turn, you could fetch the card out of your deck. So you're going to see a lot more uh, toolbox kind of aggro builds with creatures with come-into-play abilities or Stuff like that. In paper, I run a um, green-white claw blade variant that's, that's quite effective. Uh, at, least I, at least in my local meta game, where, and it's just it's you know it forsakes all the counter spells and stuff for just effective creatures and 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 just over flooding the board with stuff like veg vines and bane slayers and just putting swords and other equipments on them and just overpowering your opponent. And um, it has like nice utility creatures that you can fetch with, like with uh, with um, Bomber Shaman, like the guy who removes artifacts and enchantments, and you got the um, the Stoneforge Mexes that that of course fetch you equipments, and the equipments are all very situational. So I mean, you can definitely build a pretty good green deck, you know, beat them. Yeah, if there were, I mean, I think if I'm looking at cards for now to pick up and beard in the siege, I would I would primarily look at the mythics right now. Uh, this is the, the low ones, like like Thrun, for instance, because 
I think I think uh, Siege is going to be like World Wake, a very underdrafted set because it it is a middle set, uh, and the Mythics are the ones that are going have the most potential to rise in price because they're a lot less common, obviously. So those are the cards that really you should look at picking up before someone breaks like like breaks the deck while they're still pretty low right now. So like Dark was saying, I think Front is undervalued right now. It's mostly a Somn block cards where you see it appear the most. You really don't see it appear that much in, you know, other formats. And right now, I think it is low, and I think it probably will go a bit lower. Uh, and then I think that'll be a good time to pick it up before it explodes, I think. Uh, but, like, a lot of the cards, like the Zenus and a lot of the other rares in the set, those are the ones that, you know, you are good to have. But I don't think right now picking them up is, like, imperative because they are probably going to be around online and higher quantities than the Mythics will be. I think the other card that looks like is interesting is Ink Moth Nexus. That's one of the few cards in the set that that's fairly stable right now. It's not going down. It's sticking around six and a half for Ink Moth. So those are a lot of cards that are showing up consistently and actually a lot of, you know, quite a few decks, but especially in Block and Extended are where that card is showing up. So I think another good card to invest in probably is Ink Moth because it seems like it probably be a staple for a while. I don't think you'll see Ink Moth go any lower than what it is because, like you said, it's playable in Standard, Extended, and even Legacy. It's just an all-around good land, and lands always hold their value. Because it has Infect, or because it can become a creature? Or... It's it's a very versatile card. Um, you can pretty much start stacking Infect counters on you know the second turn as long as you throw the Ink Moth out on the first turn. But not only that, I mean, uh, unless you are able to deal with it right when it becomes a creature, it's a land. So it's it, it not only does it you know is a viable attack, but I mean it hides itself you know when it's not being used as a creature. Uncounterable and flying. As a general rule of thumb, main lands are just really good. And yeah, it's the versatility just because it's a creature, a land, and it also becomes an artifact, which is no mean thing, especially in like. In some block, the artifact cards are important for Metalcraft, but also just in other formats. You know, there are times when you really need to have a third artifact or just an artifact in general to be out there doing things. And also, it animates very cheaply. I think it's like almost sort of like a mutavolt in that you know it can be an attacker, but it also can be like a defense. You leave back your you know mana for your ink boss, and if you need to block, you can stop their attack and then get in for lethal the next turn. And being the defense, though, it has an added bonus. I mean, it can be a chump blocker, but also knock down. It's got that wither effect. Yeah, my most common use for it has actually been uh, when playing against Boros or uh, the white quest thing that uses Sphinxes or whatever. They buff them up for a turn and attack you to put your uh, Ink Moth on them, and after the turn ends and they lose their buff, as buffs, they die. It's also nice in that environment where like, swords are becoming more popular because one thing about it being an artifact is that it doesn't you know, have a color, so... That like a lot of protection abilities don't have anything to do with it, so we can block almost anything that's out there. All right. Well, we're running a little bit long, so uh, I thought we'd turn to crack a pack. Woo! What do you guys want to crack? Pasta's here, so it's gonna be a Tezzeret. I thought we were cracking onslaught. Yeah, Are we really onslaught? I love that set. This is crack the oldest core set that decks can possibly buy off the store. Do us not. Crack Apocalypse and or whatever it is and get a Vindicate.
What the hell was in 7th edition? <laughs> no, really. I know from one of our clan tournaments I had won like an 8th edition pack. And I was flipping through the list of cards that are in it trying to determine if I wanted to open it or not. And there was like nothing that was valued over like 50 cents online. But I gotta tell you, That's why some of the core set edition packs on the bots are so cheap. You can get some of them for like two bucks. God, how sad. So did you get the pack open yet? Yeah, I did. I was going to ask, um, who's doing a lot of, um, has anybody done a lot of Mirrodin Besiege Scars Scars draft? I did one today in paper. Sweet. I've done a couple. And I guess how is that first pack being Mirrodin Besieged kind of change things? Well, since you know the other two packs are going to be Scars of Mirrodon and you're familiar with the um, the archetypes there, my first thought is to look at, is there a really good card for an archetype that is two-thirds of what I'll be drafting? So I, I guess my think my things are a little different than most people in that way. That's interesting. We did, that's weird. We did um, Mirrodon Besiege, Mirrodon Besiege, and Scars. That's paper for you. How about you, Pasta? You've been doing drafts. What's been your experience? I've just done... Won a MSS, did an 8-4, went to the finals yesterday. My um, Mirrodin Besiege back kind of dictated what I went into. I opened a Black Sun and then got past Infect, 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 Infect. Gotta love them suns. Alright, well let's begin. This is Mirrodin Besieged. Um, the first common is Tangle Mantis, which is 2 and 2 green. It's a 3-4. It's uh, got Trample. That's uh, pretty good. Uh, yeah. Not not an early pick, but if you're going for a dinosaur build, a good man to fill out the curve. Okie dokie. Next common is Burn the Impure, which is one in red. It's an instant. Burn the Impure deals three damage to target creature. If that creature has infect, Burn the Impure also deals three damage to that creature's controller. One of the best red removal that... They have not set. Yeah, that's first pickable. One thing to note about that card, and I guess it's obvious to some people, I don't know why I didn't think of this, uh, but Burn the Impure actually can be a direct damage spell. You don't need to kill the, like, if it's targeting an infect creature, it doesn't actually have to kill the infect creature to do damage to the player's life total. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's, it, like you said, it can be a lightning bolt for two if you're playing an infect player, and bonus if it removes. And the next common is Hexplate Golem, which is seven colorless mana. It's a five-seven golem. So I, 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 I find it surprisingly draftable. I always like seeing my Hexplate Golem turn six, seven, or eight. Yeah, I like Hexplate Golem, especially in control builds. You want at least one of those. I like seeing it pick thirteen, which is where I always see it. Eh? Yeah, like like uh, Easy was saying, he's not. He's not an early pick, man, but you're not unhappy to have one. At least I never am unhappy to have a Hexploit. I just find that when I play when I play Limited, I, my games don't usually drag on long enough for him to really make a difference. Of course, I'm a fast-style player, but yeah. He can make a difference. Trust, Trust me. All right, the next common is Turn the Tide, which is one and a blue. It's an instant. Creatures your opponent's control get minus two, minus zero until end of turn. It's actually not a bad sideboard card. It's pretty good. Actually, it's, I always bring it in against Infect decks, or if I, I also bring it in against Battlecry decks. I was, I'd say it, it can be a good trick, but I have yet to ever see that card played. 
Yeah, I've played it a few times, and actually I've seen it played against me a few times. And it does, but it, like, what's nice about it is it does give you nice trades, uh, and it does reduce their damage a lot. So a lot of times the Battlecry decks, they'll think they're going to go in for the lethal, and they'll tap into everything they have. You play that, and uh, it turns out that they, all that Battlecry just doesn't really help, and then you come in the next turn and win sometimes. And I wouldn't recommend playing more than, like, one or like one may like possibly sideboard just have, bring it in every now and then, but like Paul said, it's not really that great of a card, but it is playable, I think. And the next common is Copper Carapace, which is a one colorless equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and can't block. Equip cost is three. That card is awesome. I play as many. Oh, I, I played in one deck. I think I had three of those, and it was disgustingly good. And all the time. That's one of the better equipments in the set. Seriously. I think I've actually first, yeah, I've actually first picked a Kyber Carapace once or twice. Yeah, well, if you, I, I find the Mirrored and Besieged packs especially can be very underwhelming a lot of the times. Alright, next comment is Icar Wellspring, which is two colors, an artifact. When Icar Wellspring enters the battlefield or is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, draw a card. Good stuff. It's not bad. It's especially good if you have a way to uh, consistently sacrifice it. It's really good with Piston Sledge. Yeah, with Piston Sledge, and it's a decent deck for a, or a decent card for deck thinning. You're basically cycling it with a possible added bonus. I mean, I won't say it's a top five pick, but it would be in the first half of the pack, I think. Yeah, they're all going. They are going pretty early. I don't see one past turn four. It's really good for helping get your metal craft online and allowing you to basically replace it. Okay. The next common is uh, Phyrexian Rager, which is two and a black. It's a 2-2. Two, two. When Phyrexian Rager enters the battlefield, you draw a card and you lose one life. I personally really like this card. This is my personal opinion. I think it's a great card. But, uh, and if I'm playing those colors, I will probably try and put it in my deck. Just really have a biased like of it. I agree. If you're in black and that card's available and there's nothing else there, that's a definitely that's a that's a good pick. Let's put it this way: I'm a fan of it, given that I ran three or four of them in my uh, block deck today. I mean, it's three mana. I mean, if you think about it, two-two is usually considered two mana. You're essentially getting a half a sign of blood in for half of its cost. So, I mean. It's kind of like the best of both worlds, if anyone could follow that logic right there. Yep, it's a sign in blood for one more that leaves a body behind. And the next common is Cost Account, which is five and a black. It's a 4-4. Four, four. Cost Account is put into a graveyard from the battlefield. Each player loses four life. Singularly unexciting. Yeah, if that's your sixth draft slot, then uh, good luck next draft. Yeah, that card is almost unplayable. I mean, it goes... Regularly for like 13, 14, 15th pick. And the next common is Priests of Norn, which is two and a white. It's a 1 4 with Vigilance and Infect. Uh, probably the best wall, maybe second best wall next to Tangle Cord in standard. Or not standard, in uh, limited. Yeah, it's an amazing card. Like all the time, like, I always, like, if I play an aggressive deck, I'll always be thinking, like, whenever I play like a turn two, you know, card, I'll always be thinking, well, I'm doing pretty good unless I drop a Priest of Norn. So because that card is like can stop almost anything in the format because it has an effect, it'll slowly whittle things down, and it's got vigilance. So, I mean, a lot of the times, like people that aren't even playing in deck will have it there, and they'll just attack with it, 
Is it because there's no reason not to because it has vigilance and can just keep getting in over and over again? And the, the four for the toughness makes a world of difference. You can risk going in for that attack and you can take, take most of the attacks that are coming at you and just wither them down. Yeah, on that note, actually, um, I read somewhere in an article that they were talking about uh, Blight Widow and Limited, and that, of course that's a four-mana green, in fact, uh, two-four. And they were, like, they were saying that if you put a Viridian Claw on that, so it's now a three-four first strike, in fact, there's nothing that can get through there. Think about a Priest of Norn with a Viridian Claw, so you got a two-four Vigilance, in fact, first strike. I mean, you're pretty well off at that point. Because now you're putting a lot of pressure on them to defend, and they have all, chances are they've got absolutely nothing that they can attack that'll take the uh, first strike infect and still be able to kill it. So yeah, it had have a six power. Good point. So I think at that point the only card that could possibly kill it in the set is a uh, massacre worm. I hope you segue into Quicksilver Geyser here. <laughs> Uh, the last common is Fuel for the Cause. Two and two blue, counter-target spell, then proliferate. That card is hilarious, just to me, because it's... I, I think, it, I guess it depends on what format you're playing. Like, in triple MVS, it's almost unplayable, just because of the fact that there's not really anything to proliferate. Like, for the most part, even though, I mean, there are a few effects, but for the most part, there's not really much you want to proliferate. I can see how it would be a lot more playable in Scars, but I haven't actually had a chance to try out yet, but... If you do play a main deck, sometimes it'll just catch your opponents completely off guard because nobody expects you to have a four-mana counterspell up in your deck. Because it's pretty much... It always goes very late because no one ever likes to pick it up. And triple MBS, at least. When triple MBS, the only reason it is playable is because it's the only counterspell besides uh, Steel Sabotage. And it's, it's still not very playable. The problem I find with cards like this, that, like, that counter but have, like, a, a note... Oh, the part of the with cards like this is that there are two, like, you want to hold them, you want to try and hold them to, so you can get the full use out of them and proliferate, but half the time you're just going to be playing this when you need to counter their bomb, so you're not going to really get the full value out of it, you know what, I got, you know what I'm saying? Like, half the time you're going to be trying to get the full value when you're just not. Yeah, but they couldn't make the card a uh, uh, two blue, one colorless uh, counter spell with the proliferate attachment on it. That's too powerful. I'm not arguing. I'm not, I'm not arguing about the mana calls. I'm just saying that it's, it seems like it's too situational of an effect to be put on a counterspell. I think it, overall counterspells that are four mana are almost unplayable in any format, just because of, you know, when you get to turn four, you want to drop a four drop. You don't want to sit there with your mana open, and then if your opponent doesn't do anything on his turn, then you haven't played it, and you're pretty much just sitting around doing nothing with this giant counterspell in your hand. See, at least for triple MBS, and I, I wouldn't play one even in that format, but I could see how it would be playable. It's not something you want to be playing turn four. It's a late game spell. When you've got eight mana out on the board and the game's getting crazy and you know that bombs are coming, it's nice to have that option to to counter that Massacre Worm that's coming down, that Tazareth that they may have, or what have you. It's not something you, you sit around and wait to counter for. It's something that it's just a nice bonus to have there. You have the option to counter the bomb when it's there, but don't <laughs> pick it. All right, moving in. Say again, yeah, all right, Eldritch. I'm just agreeing with Pasta. I've never picked that card. 
So moving on to the uncommons, we have Peace Strider, which is four colorless. It's a three-three. When Peace Strider enters the battlefield, you gain three life. Pretty solid card. It's a colorless hill giant with an added effect. Personally, I just don't like the card on principle, just because I think that its counterpart, Pierce Strider, is much, much better than that. It's because of the fact that typically, I mean, the sometimes it'll be a dead card. It'll be a lot of times just a a three-three for four, and the life gain really won't be that relevant. Would you take it as a filler card, a creature card? You know, if you were low on creatures and yeah, for sure. I mean, it is decent because I mean, there are a lot, there are a lot of three three fours in the in the set. I just don't find that its added effect is ever very very useful. So it would be for mo- like, for me, it would be more of a filler card. Whereas Pure Strider actually becomes part of a strategy just because it is sort of like a lightning bolt and a creature at the same time. And that's the kind of card I prefer to play. Okay, and. Uh... Dark, would you like to speculate on the next uncommon? Uh, am I supposed to guess what it is, or what? Maybe it's not you. Um, the next uncommon is Go for the Throat, which is one in a black, a destroy target non-artifact creature. I mean, what's that to say? It's a good card. Yeah, it's pretty much a first or second pick. Um, even late in the draft, if you're not running artifacts, you and you're not running black, you've got to consider hate draft in that. It's not going to make hate draft, though. It's going to end up getting picked up first or second. If you pass on it, the next person's going to take it. Alright, so what's everyone's pick? I'm burning the Impure so far. I would go, uh, go for the Throat or the Strider. Definitely go for the Throat. Wait till we see the next two cards. There's no more cards left. What were the three uncommons? Peace Strider, Growth for the Throat, and... Diecast oh, I'm rare. sorry. There is one more. It's Viridian Corruptor, which is one and two green. It's a two-two with infect. And when Viridian Corruptor enters the battlefield, destroy target artifact. That's my pick, actually. Yeah, my Yeah. Yeah, I'm taking that first pick. <laughs> I mean, it's a uh, naturalized essentially in this set because it's not really any significant enchantments. Plus a two-two infect body. I don't know how you can pass that up. What's the rare? Uh, there's a germ token. I'm taking it. And there's a forest. So, like, uh, here's my experience. Okay, so, I'm looking at Go for the Throat, Viridian Corruptor, Ickerwell Spring, and Burn the Impure, and Priest of Norn. Those all seem like reasonable picks. Nothing stands up. Nothing. Yeah, but what's your rare? Oh, it's not even worth mentioning. Um, nothing. Is it Knowledge Pool? No. I'm taking knowledge pool simply I for Commander I'm decks. I'm underestimating it, but I don't think I am. Galvanoff? Galvanoff? Right. <laughs> so, yeah, no. What we wanted bad. to know. I would have told you. It's just not worth taking into account. It's not a bad card. I mean, I mean obviously, there's a couple better cards in the pack, but he's still a good card. It'll be interesting to see someone build a deck around him later on, but draft. I don't think he's going to be as useful because you're never really sure what you're going to be getting. Does it show your opponent? Because I think that at that point it's be like showing all your cards to your opponent anyway. No. It's at the beginning of your upkeep. You may look at the top card of your library. If it's an instant or sorcery card, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. Three and two red for a three-three. Yeah, too expensive for an effect that doesn't really have any kind of usefulness most times. Did you say for an infect? Uh, I thought you what? said for an infect. Oh. Said okay. infect. Gotcha. Yeah, like, hey, those are the cards I would look at. 
The only cards I think worth first picking, though, would be Corruptor, Burn the Impure, and Go for the Throat. You almost have to choose removal all the time you can. Yeah, I think I'm going to change my uh, pick back to Burn the Impure. Looking at the in- the pack as a whole, I think Burn the Impure is the right See, pick. Okay, so the few drafts that I've done, I end up really light on creatures. Are, or is 12 creatures, is that light? seems like creature light to me. That's mid. I would say 10 or less is light. Anything above that is mid. And then around, you want to be around like 15 would be a decent number. Personally, I would just go, I mean, one thing, I guess it's kind of almost a bias perhaps, but the color that always has performed the best for me in all the drafts I've played has been green so far, especially in Mirrodin Besieged. And I just, I really love the, uh, like the, like the green cards from Mirrodin Besieged. So for me, it would be the Brittian Corruptor. I just, like one thing I don't like about Burn the Impure, I guess, is that not that it's not a good card, but it just doesn't get there most of the time for me. It just, you know, it kills, like, small things, whereas the Corruptor can kill even their, their biggest their biggest creatures, and it seems more like... A, yeah, know, I almost see, like, Meridian Corruptor and Priest of Norn with, as, like, removal. I mean, that may be an overstatement, but it's almost like they're creatures with removal. It is. Yeah, it's also yeah, like, definitely a creature with removal. I think it's. I think you get double value out of it because, like, one thing with Burn the Impure is that when you're playing with that card, typically it's only a one-use type deal. Like, you use it, you kill a creature, and then that's the end of the. I guess the end of it. Whereas the Viridian Corruptor, you cast, you kill something, and then it stays on the beat on the on the battlefield, and you can either use it to attack them and kill them and win the game, or it stays on the field to block, take down their creatures. The way I'm looking at it is, I take Burn the Impure. I'm passing then. Viridian Corruptor, and a go for the throat. So I know what the next two picks are, and good chances are those next two people are going to end up in fact. So come back round next time, they're not going to be uh, taking red cards. They're going to, I've got at least two people fighting over Infect, and chances are there's going to be a third one in there because everybody tries to overdraft Infect, and it weakens their deck. My Burn the Impure, that first pick, set up to be good against them, and I'll get started get started to be shipped uh, good cards also that they're not interested in, but they're going to tear them down later. Dude, that was next level magic. Wow. I would like to point out that um, Baron Shaman's, whatever her name's ability is, is uh, not a may, it's a must, so you got to be careful when you're playing that if your opponent's not playing a lot of artifacts, which there's not really that many opponents they are not going to be playing a lot of artifacts. But I've had games where she just sits in my hand because I don't have a target besides my own target. So. I mean, well, the same thing applies with the Corruptor. Is, even if they don't have an artifact, you can still play it as a creature, and it'll be a removal just be, by being a blocker. I mean, I guess the way I'm seeing it is that I wouldn't... Like, I don't ever play Infect, just because, like Fossa said, tends to be overdrafted, and then you end up getting a horrible deck because everyone's trying to draft Infect. For me, I would just take Corruptor and just have it... I, I played it multiple times, just a deck that has no Infect besides the Corruptor just because it's removal as a blocker. It's sort of like Priest of Norn, as you don't really use that card as your main Infect strategy is more of a blocker and defensive guy and a removal. And that's the way I see it. So, I mean, I think if I got that guy, I don't think I'd be fighting Infect players because typically the cards that I would want to have in a green deck like that are not going to be Infect. They're going to be like that Tinkle Mantis. But with Viridian Corruptor, you're in green. You're in green now. You're not splashing a Viridian Corruptor because of the double green casting cost. And I'm shipping the rest of the green to you that's filtering through me. I mean, if I want to, like, take your dinosaurs away or whatever, I can. Yeah. No. Solid reasoning. This is the world's longest podcast. That's all I got.
Now this isn't the longest one. We got another. If we can go another uh, hour and a half, then we can break that record. That depends. Are we including the ones where something's happened and we lost the recording halfway through? That's never happened. Folks, dark is just kidding. That never happened. Did you decide on a song, Pasta? I, I got. A, I got a song for you. I, yeah, I'm gonna have to relinquish this to uh, our Scarce American Block winner, Dark Worship. Hit it. I'll not actually play it over the mumble. I thought you were gonna sing it. Sing it, sing it. Sing well, before the closing it. credits, I'd just like to thank you guys for joining us. It's a pleasure. Sizzle losing. <laughs> Bye. I the fatties. I the fatties. And that song is just for the comedy factor. YouTube, I was just browsing videos or something, and it came up on, like, I guess people do, like, anime music videos to, like, scenes from shows or whatever, and it came up, and I, so I showed it to my, uh, friend who lives across the street, and I'm just like, oh my god, this is the whole most hilarious song. Cool. Well, there you go. Yep, you can even do the Barbie Girl song. No. Too late. Don't do that. Lose your authority. Yeah, this is true. Well, thanks for joining me. Take it easy. Pickens. Yeah, I got another sig. What are you asking me to steal? I thought thought uh, Axe here told us to take you somewhere. What? You said take take uh, it easy, uh, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can do a laugh, too. <laughs> Dude, this, oh, this is the kind of stuff you should be recording, not the other two hours we just recorded. Yeah, the podcast starts now. Hey, that was just a practice one.